Welcome to First Baptist Church of Augusta. We're so glad you could join us for worship this morning. Here at First Baptist, we are a church that lives out the greatest commandment of Jesus, which is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We believe that following the way of Jesus should make a difference in the world around us. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing at FBC Augusta today. my friends. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, in just a minute, we're going to read verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Uh, if you're here with us in the room or you're watching online, you didn't bring your Bibles, no worries. The words will be on the screen in just a minute. But before we jump in, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, if you are a parent with preschool or uh, elementary school children, immediately after this service in our uh, fellowship hall, we are going to have a Southern Family Christmas. It's an event that our children's ministry is putting on immediately after this service. We're going to have a biscuit bar. They're going to have some games and activities for you and your kids to do, and then a brief little uh, worship moment in the uh, banquet hall immediately following this service. And so if you want to go and be a part of that, no worries if you didn't have reservations. Just go and make it happen. It's going to be incredible. And then the second thing I want you to know is that we are now kicking off basketball season at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. And I don't know if you know this, but our church has a history of dominating church basketball league, okay? And that trend is going to continue this year. But in order for it to continue in the men's league, we need you to play. So if you are a man, I think 18 and older, and you want to play in the men's league, we've got seven guys right now, and we really want to get to about 10 or 12. And so if you have not signed up to play, go ahead and do it. Uh, you will not see me out there because 40 years old is too old to be shooting J's on a Tuesday afternoon, okay? But you can go and sign up and play, and I promise you will have a great time. But y'all, today we are continuing on in our series, God With Us, where we are looking at the Christmas story through the lens of Matthew, which is it was one of the Gospels. And, and what we talked about last week is how as a culture we've so moved past the centrality of Jesus in the Christmas story. And so for us as a church, we're going to take the four weeks of Advent, which is that season preparing our heart for Christmas, and, and we're going to look particularly at the Jesus story itself. And last week we started with the genealogy, and you can, if you missed it, you can go to our website and check it out. And today we continue on by looking at the birth story itself or by beginning to look at the birth story. So Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 and you can just follow along as I read now from this story. This was how the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place. His mother Mary was engaged to Joseph but before they came together she turned out to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband-to-be, was an upright man. He didn't want to make a public example of her, so he decided to set the marriage aside privately. But while he was considering this, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to get to Mary. Or to get married to Mary. The child she is carrying is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son. You're going to give him the name Jesus. He is the one who will save his people from their sins. All this happened so that what the Lord had said through the prophet might be fulfilled. Look, the virgin is pregnant and will have a son, and they shall give him the name Emmanuel, which, in trans, which means in translation, God with us. When Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the Lord's angel had told him to do. He married his wife, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until after the birth of her son. And he gave him the name Jesus. 
So I got a question, y'all. What's your favorite Christmas song? What's your favorite Christmas song? Anybody? Anybody? No? No? Okay, okay, there you go. Jingle bells, that's good. Some people like jingle bells. I ask a few people, is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, my dude, I like that one too. That's a good one. I asked some people this week, kind of an informal poll, what are your favorite Christmas carols? And I got a number of interesting ones. I mean, all the classics, right? Joy to the World, Silent Night. But some people have branched out from the traditional Christmas carols. A few people told me that they really loved Dominic the Donkey. Anybody, any Dominic the Donkey fans? Okay. One I had not heard that I went back and I listened to uh, was Merry Christmas from the Family by Montgomery Gentry. Has anybody heard that song? Holy smokes, dude. If you have not listened to that song, go and listen to it. It is my childhood at Christmas time, which is not a good thing. I'm just telling you, okay? Go and listen to that song. But what is your favorite Christmas song? It's a question that we need to ask, right? And for me, I am a traditionalist. I love all the classic Christmas songs. But I think my favorite Christmas song of all, and it maybe isn't the whole song itself, but one song that I love more than any other of the Christmas songs because of one verse in it is, it came upon a midnight clear. It came upon a midnight clear, and there's one verse that I want you to see. If you could go ahead and throw that slide up, the, the, the lyric from It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Peace on the earth and goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. There's something about that phrase, peace on the earth, that just grabs my heart and it grabs my attention. If you guys don't remember, in the other Christmas story in Luke's gospel, the angel when Jesus is born, there's this heavenly concert and they proclaim those words, peace on the earth and goodwill to men because the king of all creation has arrived. That word peace just sticks out to me and it grabs my heart and it grabs my attention. At the beginning of our service this morning, the outlaw family, what did they light? They lit the candle of peace. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take just a few minutes before we jump into the Christmas story itself. I want to take just a few minutes and explore this concept of peace. What does it mean in its proper context? Because when the angels proclaimed peace on the earth, what they were saying is that with the birth of Jesus, a new era in history had arrived where peace could occur, not only across creation, but I think importantly for us to understand peace could occur in the context of your own life and in the context of your own heart. And so what I want to do this morning before we get into the story is just talk for a minute about peace. What is it? Because for a number of us, when we hear the word peace, what we tend to think about is simply an absence of conflict, right? When we uh, pray at night, when I pray with my daughters, what we pray about is we pray that there would be an end to the war in Ukraine, that there would be peace, an absence of conflict. And that is true and it's right and it's good. But please understand, when we sing the words in these Christmas songs, peace on the earth, if we are only thinking about an absence of conflict, then we are missing the whole heart of what the stories of Jesus are actually trying to tell us. Because the word peace in the Hebrew language, it's a word called shalom. 
And if you want to find the best possible definition, I've shared this with you before, but the best possible definition for shalom comes from a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a breviary of sin. And there's a guy named Neil Plantiga Jr. who has a definition for shalom that I absolutely love. When we sing those words of the Christmas carol, peace on the earth, we're not just talking about an absence of conflict, but please understand when we sing the words peace on the earth, we are talking about God's wholeness and God's shalom. And here's Cornelius Plantiga Jr.'s definition. In the Bible, shalom or peace, it means universal flourishing. It means wholeness and delight. It is a rich state of affairs. You can run to the next slide, please that inspires joyful wonder and as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. And you can go to the next slide, please. Shalom, peace, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom or peace is the way things ought to be. That when God created the world and said it is good, there was wholeness and there was uh, joy that was pervading the entirety of the cosmos. And it is God's intent that that is how everything should be structured. Shalom or peace, that word that we sing in those countless Christmas carols, the words we proclaim when we light the candle of peace, what we are saying is God has a dream for creation that everything would be as it was intended or very good. It is true for the whole of creation, but what we need to understand is that it is also true for our lives. Do you understand, friends? That what we are proclaiming at Christmas time is that because God took on flesh and came among us in the person of Jesus, that wholeness can be ours. That is a bold and audacious claim that is at the heart of the gospel. Peace can be yours. And so what I want to do this morning, friends, is I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the Christmas story itself and exploring one of the characters. Because when we read the Christmas story, one of the characters that I actually think can teach us the most about peace, and the character that I want to talk about is Joseph, because Joseph shows us how peace can come in the most unexpected of places. Because y'all, the fact of the matter is, when we get to Christmas time, what we always tend to do is we tend to focus on who? Jesus. We tend to focus on Jesus, the eight-pound baby who was born in the manger, if you remember that scene from Talladega Nights, right? We focus on Jesus because he is, in fact, as the saying goes, the reason for the season. He's the one we put our attention on, and that is right, and it is good. The other person that we tend to put a lot of our attention on is Mary. Mary, the Theotokos, the uh, Greek language says she is the bearer of God. What an incredible thing for her to be the one who gives birth to the incarnate God. And we focus on Mary because her story is just radical. And, and Mary's story, when she finds out that she is pregnant, when the angel of God comes to Mary and says, hey, you're pregnant and you're going to give birth to the Messiah, her response, y'all, it is inspiring. She says, let it be as the Lord has proclaimed, right? She trusts in God from the very beginning. But what I want to do is I don't want to look this morning at Mary and I don't want to look at Jesus. But what I want to do this morning is I want to focus for just a few minutes on Joseph, 
Because I believe, friends, that Joseph can teach us something about how peace comes, as I just said a few moments ago, from the most unexpected of places. The story says that Joseph was engaged to Mary. Now let's pause for just a minute. We're going to get into some context, all right? Because Joseph is engaged to Mary. And what you need to understand is that 2,000 years ago, the context of engagement is very, very different than today. If you get engaged today, I meet with couples all the time that get engaged and they want to do premarital counseling and they come in my office and they hold hands and they look at each other and they're like, I love you and I love you too. And there's this like sweetness and they're still dating. And yes, it is good. But please understand marriage and engagement in the first century, while there might have been a tenderness to it, it is not romantic love in the same way that we think of it today. That in the first century context, engagement was actually you had entered into the legally binding period that led up to your marriage. For all intents and purposes, the engagement period, you were already married to that person. The only thing that you had not done was to engage in sexual activity. And so you were, for all intents and purposes in our culture, you were married. So when it says they were engaged, y'all, in that context, they were already exclusively together, locked into the legally binding marriage in first century Jewish culture. And please understand the implications of this because they are engaged to be married. And the story then says that, that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, stop for just a minute. If you are here this morning and that sentence does not sound strange to you, then you have, you have forgotten the radical nature of the Christmas story. Because y'all, please understand, we have made some advances in medical technology in 2022. But everybody then, just as everybody now, pretty much understood how people get pregnant. And you know what? Like, only one time in history has it involved the Holy Spirit. Every other time, I'm not going to go into the details, y'all, but there is a way that people come to be pregnant. And Joseph, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, his immediate thought would have been, she has been creeping on the come up, okay? She has been going around and cheating on me, and this would have been, in the context, disastrous. Today, you just go on social media and blast them for a minute or two. But in the ancient world, if somebody cheated on their spouse, do you know what the implications of that were? If Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he was not the father, as Maury Povich likes to say, then what would have happened is that he would have gone to the religious authorities, he would have reported that fact, and then, according to biblical tradition, she would have been stoned to death. She would have been killed. And it says that Joseph is an upright and religious man. He doesn't want her to pay the penalty of death. And so he's going to just dismiss her quietly. He's going to dismiss her quietly, which would have meant she's still going to be an unmarried mother. And in the context of the first century, that would, have meant she, that would have meant she was an outcast. That would have meant she was a pariah. No one would have wanted to be around her. And even more than that, friends, Joseph would have been a laughingstock. 
Joseph would have been someone that people had written off and declared, man, you are a loser and you cannot, um, you cannot imagine the shame that Joseph would have felt. Y'all, if Shalom is the way things are supposed to be, the reason that I want to focus on Joseph in this story is that when we enter into it from its very beginnings, here's the thing that we need to understand. That if peace is the way things ought to be, then Joseph, he was feeling the exact opposite in that moment. When Mary finds out she's pregnant, like I told you, hey, let it be as God has commanded. But when Joseph finds out Mary is pregnant, we actually don't have a glimpse into his mind. We don't get an idea of what he was thinking. But I, I, I want to do a little bit of projecting for just a minute. How do you think Joseph would have felt when he received that news? How do you think Joseph would have felt when he received that news? There, there would have been embarrassment. There, there would have been anger. There would have been any number of emotions that would have gone through his body in that moment. And he would have felt just like you and just like me. You see, friends, I actually want to spend a little bit of time talking about Joseph this morning because Mary's response is super pious and it's really beautiful and it's good. And Jesus is this perfect child that is born in a manger. But I'd never forget this fact. Y'all never forget this fact that the biblical story is talking about real people in real space and in real time. And when we strip away the emotions that they would have felt in the biblical story of the nativity, then we are robbing ourselves of an opportunity to learn. Because I think, I genuinely believe, friends, that more than any other character in this story, more than Jesus, more than Mary, more than the shepherds and the angels, here's what I want us to understand, that we can identify with Joseph more than any other character in the whole of the Christmas story. Because his life was tracking along perfectly. He had a job. He had a wife. He was on his way to living in the world as he had always intended for it to be lived in. And then what happens? But he gets the news that his wife is pregnant and it's not his child. He would have felt every single emotion that you could possibly imagine. And friends, what I want to tell you is we can identify with him or maybe he can identify with us. This is a real story about real people in real space and in real time. And some of you guys, man, when, when I talk about waking up, isn't that interesting? He was dreaming. He was dreaming. And God comes to him in a dream. But you imagine, can't you imagine the process of him laying in bed and trying to go to sleep? laying in bed and trying to go to sleep and his mind is racing, thinking about what am I going to do next? How am I going to address this issue? My life was going perfect and now everything has been turned absolutely upside down. That is how Joseph felt. And what I am telling you is I know enough of you and I know enough of my own story to recognize that we oftentimes feel that way too. And when I say a word like anger, or when I say a, a word like dismay, when I say a word like confusion and bitterness, friends, we can relate to that story because Joseph was laying there and wondering, what have I gotten myself into? 
And friends, what I want you to understand is that you, when you feel that way, you're not alone. You're, you're not alone. And if the story ended right there, with Joseph wondering, my wife is pregnant and it's not my child, then friends, this would have been the worst story ever told. But the reason I want to continue on this morning is because now the story takes a turn. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that peace, that shalom, the way things ought to be, oftentimes, oftentimes it arrives to us in the moments where we absolutely least expect for it to. Oftentimes, it is when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death that God shows up and proclaims that he is doing a new thing. Because Joseph finds out that his wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, okay, fine. And then he goes to sleep with a thousand thoughts running through his head. And y'all, this is where the story gets really interesting because what we read in Matthew's gospel is that an angel of the Lord, so God's voice comes to Joseph and he says, don't be afraid to get married to Mary. Let's stop for just a minute. I want to stop for just a minute. Do you know what the most often repeated command in the whole of the Bible is? Do you? Don't be afraid. The most often repeated command in the whole of the Bible is not a prohibitive list of things that we ought not to do so that we can remain in good standing with God. The most often repeated command in the whole of the Bible is don't be afraid. And in this moment where Joseph's life had been turned upside down, God shows up and announces to him, don't be afraid because I am with you. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. Because, and then he goes on to talk about the dreams and the hopes of Israel. And she's going to have a son and he's going to be the Messiah and he's going to save people from their sins. And you've got to remember, Joseph is a good upstanding Jew in the first century. And they had been dreaming for 400 years, dreaming of the day when God would finally act again. When God would show up in history and redeem his people and they had prayed for it and dreamed about it. And it is precisely in that moment where Joseph is thinking, what has happened to my life that God shows up and declares a new word. Don't be afraid because you're going to give birth to the hope of Israel and you're going to call him Jesus. You're going to call him Emmanuel, which is translated that God is with us. And the story then says that Joseph simply woke up from his dream. The story says that Joseph woke up from his dream. And this is where it's fascinating, y'all, because he decided to marry Mary. He made a conscious and purposeful decision. He was in the middle of a chaotic moment like nothing he had ever experienced in his life. And he woke up in the morning after a visit from God. And you know what he could have said? He could have said it was a dream. He could have said it doesn't mean anything and my life is still just as crummy as it has ever been and things have fallen apart. Do you know how easy it would have been for Joseph to simply give in to the cynicism? Do you know how easy it would have been for him to wake up and simply say, well, here's another day. What am I going to do? 
but he decided the story said. He made a conscious decision not to give in to the despair. He made a conscious decision not to give in to the negative voices that undoubtedly he knew he was going to hear. And what makes this story so remarkable is that Joseph decided to trust. Joseph decided to trust that in the least likely of places, God was showing up to do a new thing. Friends, the reason I love this story and the reason I think it speaks to peace as a possibility in our lives is that Joseph believed, Joseph absolutely believed that God could bring peace in the middle of the chaos. Joseph made a conscious decision to believe that while things could not get any worse, God is going to redeem even this brokenness that I am feeling. That's remarkable, isn't it? Look, I'm not here this morning to say you're Joseph. You are not Joseph, okay? You're not going to give birth to the Messiah, although some of you parents treat your children like they are, okay? Let's just be real about that. You are not going to give birth to the Messiah, okay? Let's, let's be crystal clear on that. You're not Joseph. But what I do want us to understand is that every single one of us in this room, we are going to walk through moments where life is going the way we expected it to, and then it all gets turned upside down. Every single one of us is going to experience something throughout the course of our lives where our trust in God is called into question. And some of you will walk through a job change that you never expected. Some of you will receive a diagnosis that you never imagined. Some of you this morning might actually be holding that bitterness in your heart to another human being. And what I want you to know, friends, is that you are not Joseph, but you do get to make a decision. You do get to make a decision about which way you will take in this world. Will you give in to the cynicism or will you trust? And I guess ultimately that's what I want to ask us this morning. Can you trust that God is with you? Can you trust that it, as you walk through those moments that you never imagined coming when life was chaotic, can you trust that God is with you? Can you trust that through him and him alone, things can actually be the way they were intended to be? See, that is the glory and the beauty of the Christmas story, friends, that when we least expected it, God shows up. So some of you right now, you need to know that your story can get better. That when you least expect it, God will do a new thing. So may you trust in the goodness of God. May you trust that his peace can be yours. May you trust in Jesus this season. Friends, let's take a few moments now and let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this morning. We, we are grateful that you, God, offer us an alternative to the cynicism of our day. We are grateful, God, that we can put our hope and our trust in you. God, some of us are here this morning and we are just like Joseph. And, and we are wondering how we got into this space and our lives are turned upside down and things are not as they are supposed to be. But God, this morning, speak a word to each of our hearts 
Speak a word to each of us and help us to understand that through Jesus, you are with us. And because of Jesus, we are never left alone. So may we trust in your goodness this morning. May we know that the peace you promise can be ours. Not someday all over the yonder, but right now in this moment. So God, speak to our hearts and be near to us as we continue to worship you this morning. God, we are grateful for all the many gifts that you have given us in, your, in our lives. But most of all, we are grateful for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope that you've experienced the presence of God and walk away empowered to make a difference in your community by sharing the love of Christ with those around you. We invite you to visit our website, find us on social media, or better yet, stop by one of our Sunday services, 9 a.m. for contemporary and 11 a.m. for traditional. Have an amazing week. See you next time.